Hey, I'm Troy Thomas, and welcome to the Liberty and Slavery podcast, where we take a look back at some of the interviews that we recorded when we were making our Emmy Award-winning documentary, Liberty and Slavery, The Paradox of America's Founding Fathers. We traveled the country to interview scholars, authors, theologians, and historians, all to discuss America's founding era and its long-lasting influence on each of us today. In fact, understanding America's history may be more important today than at any time in American history. On today's podcast, we welcome Sarah Bond Harper. Sarah has been the executive director at James Monroe's Highland since 2012. She was formerly the archaeological research manager at Thomas Jefferson's Monticello and adjunct faculty at the University of Virginia. This interview was conducted in Charlottesville, Virginia in August 2013. Sarah, such a uh, pleasure to sit down with you today and talk about all things James Monroe uh, here at Highland. So just wanted to jump right in and have you sort of tackle the childhood of James Monroe. What can you tell us about, about James Monroe growing up? Well, James Monroe was born in Westmoreland County in 1758. And Westmoreland County is, is towards the coast of Virginia and was part of the early settlement of Virginia. Monroe's family had been there for some generations, and they were comfortable. They were landholders, they were slaveholders, but they were not the elite. They were not as wealthy as some of the neighbors there in Westmoreland County. They were comfortable sending James Monroe to school. He went to Campbelltown Academy as a boy, um, where one of his classmates was none other than John Marshall. And those two men, their lives and careers intersected for a good long time afterwards. So he went to school. Um, he was the first son and second child in his family. He had three younger brothers. Um, he did eventually inherit land from his parents. By the time he was 16, both of his parents had died. Um, so Monroe was an orphan at that point, and he came under the protect protection of his first mentor, who was his uncle, a maternal uncle called Joseph Jones. And Joseph Jones became fairly instrumental throughout Monroe's um, life during the time that Jones was alive. He uh, sent Monroe to college. He was a student at the College of William and Mary. And he also um, introduced him to his later and, and other very important mentor, Thomas Jefferson. Very good. Um, what can you tell me? about James Monroe's military career. I mean, he was kind of a hero, wasn't he? Monroe was a military hero, um, and he was the only um, of the founding fathers other than General Washington, of course, to fight in the revolution. And, and he sort of got swept into the American Revolution as a boy, as a teenager, as a student at the College of William and Mary. And around him there at the college, the revolution was forming. The revolution was, was heating up. Um, so Monroe really got swept away there, and he enlisted, and eventually, uh, when he left the Army, he left at the rank of colonel. Um, sometimes Jefferson would uh, address Monroe later in life, even as Colonel Monroe. So Monroe was a part of some of the major battles um, of the Revolution, or, or, or important battles of the Revolution. He wintered at Valley Forge. He fought at White Plains. Um, significantly, he was wounded at the Battle of Trenton. Um, and that's a pretty good story. You think of the painting, Washington Crossing the Delaware. Um, and of course, painted into that boat is a young Monroe standing behind General George Washington. And Monroe wasn't actually in that boat in real life. That's a little bit of artistic license um, because Monroe was a part of that campaign and he was a part of the early 
um, the day before advance guard or the night before, I guess it was. And, and they crossed um, and were scoping it out for the next day. He, uh, he and his comrades um, disturbed a local resident who came out of his house thinking that he was going to chase away Hessian soldiers. And in fact, Monroe and his men said, oh, no, we're the other guys. And so not only did that, that man feed them, he said, well, why don't I come along with you? I'm a surgeon. And who knows, tomorrow some poor soul might need me. And eventually that poor soul was Monroe. And Monroe was badly wounded at the Battle of Trenton, and, and the doctor was there to stitch him up and no doubt saved his life rather than having him bleed out there in the snow. So it took him many months to recover, and as I understand, they had to leave um, the ammunition in him, so they sew- sewed him up so that he recovered, but he um, bore that with him the rest of his life. And ha- how I see it is that Monroe really bore the revolution for the rest of his life. His legacy really is about a commitment to the American Revolution and and a commitment to what it created. As much as independence, um, to Monroe, I think it was an experiment in governance where the democratic form of government had come into being. And so we see during Monroe's life, many times he's committed to the preservation of the American Republic. Um, Those early years are are a fragile time in American history. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that the um, experiment in governance would succeed, that it would ultimately lead to the United States of America that we have today. That's a great answer. Thank you. And as a native Virginian, I mean, I want to talk, of course, about the Virginia dynasty. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, you know, the Virginia dynasty um, is is considered one of two ways. Many folks include Washington, others don't. But the Virginia dynasty really showed the great leadership that came out of Virginia um, and really the importance of Virginia and its place, um, not only in the American Revolution, but in setting up the democracy that was so important to the American Republic. When you think about Monroe later on being president, what were some of the hallmarks of his presidency? Monroe's presidency, um, interestingly, it was a two-term presidency, and he, as much as anything, is now remembered for the Monroe Doctrine. I don't point to that as the most important thing. Um, Of course, um, there are many foreign policy issues that Monroe is strong on and ways that Monroe helped the young republic grow into a mature nation. But another important hallmark of Monroe's presidency was the Missouri Compromise. We see Monroe making compromises for the preservation of the republic. He often went against party lines on, on this and other topics to to really, I think, achieve what he believed in, that is the preservation of the Union. Can you talk a little bit about the friendship between James Monroe and Thomas Jefferson? Uh, James Monroe got swept away into the American Revolution as a teenage college student, and he went off and fought and came back and hadn't quite finished his studies. And through great debate um, with his uncle, Joseph Jones, he had to decide whether to resume his studies at the College of William and Mary or to accept a wonderful offer to read the law with Mr. Jefferson. Um, and, and I think we all know he chose the latter. And so Monroe really was Jefferson's uh, student in some ways. Uh, Jefferson certainly was Monroe's mentor, 
for much of his life. Um, there's an age difference that I think is significant in this relationship. And, and Jefferson certainly loomed large in Monroe's life. Of course, here we are at Highland, um, what's now known as Ashlawn Highland, is Monroe's home. And the whole reason he was here was because of his friendship with Jefferson. Jefferson encouraged Monroe to buy property here in Albemarle County. First, Monroe purchased um, land, uh, what was then west of Charlottesville around the university, where the University of Virginia is now. Um, in fact, that land did become some of the University of Virginia. And then Monroe um, wanted more land, a larger property, and he bought a highland out here. And what a beautiful piece of land it is. It is beautiful. The The setting is spectacular. Um, it's a very gentle setting. Um, and Monroe farmed here and was close to his neighbor, Jefferson. We we still share a little bit of boundary, um, but they were, in fact, very close neighbors. So some of the founders like Jefferson, Madison, Washington, of course, are very well known. James Monroe, maybe not quite as much, but he still had a significant impact on the colonial period in early America. I would say that Monroe's impact really was in the early national period. Um, uh, he really his his entry into public service was in the American Revolution, um, but then he, I'm told, filled more public offices than any president before or since, at the state and then national level. Of course, we know about um, him being a multi-term Virginia governor. Virginia governors were allowed to hold more than one term. At that point, he um, was ambassador, um, then called minister, first to France, later to France, Britain, and briefly Spain. So his international cred is pretty good as well. Then um, Monroe uh, served as secretary of state during both of President Madison's terms, and for a brief while also served simultaneously as president of war during the War of 1812. So we're sitting outside here at Highland, and we look over and we can see the slave quarters and um, I guess my question would be, if we were here during the time of Monroe and we were to be looking out over the yard here and the, the property, what type of things would we see? What type of activities and what would have been going on with the slaves? Well, what we call the service yard here at Highland would have been the center of activity for, plant, for the plantation. Um, there would have been cooking and kitchen spaces. Um, some cooking tasks, of course, were done outside. Um, there would have been productive activities, um, whether they were spinning, weaving, rendering lard, um, producing soap. Um, those are all rather uh, uh, noticeable activities if you're here. It would not have been a clean and pristine place, um, as ornamental as it is today. So, Sarah, I wanted to ask you about a letter that James Monroe had written to Joseph Jones uh, from Paris. And in the letter, Monroe asked uh, Joseph Jones from Paris, and this is in 1796, uh, about the health of Tina. Now, I guess Tina was a slave here at Highland. And I guess my question would be, the letter asked about her health. So is there some sort of affection that Monroe has for Tina, that he's really concerned about her? Um, is that really how you read that letter? Right. There was an enslaved woman here at Highland called Tina, in one of Monroe's letters. She may have been Thenia or Tenia Hemings, a relation of Sally Hemings. And Monroe expresses some concern at her health at one point. And I think what that shows is not so much the concern, which was probably valid, but it shows how interdependent these people were in their individual lives. 
Of course, on a plantation, there were enslaved cooks, butlers, nannies, valets, ladies' maids, as well as uh, a whole category of enslaved field hands who probably didn't come in the main house um, often at all. And so the Monroes, like other slave owners of the time, would have um, really depended on the presence of uh, trusted enslaved servants. Um, and so Monroe's concern for Tina certainly was, it probably had a, a, a valid and earnest concern for her well-being, but I'm sure that was founded also in um, Mrs. Monroe's leaning on Tina for her, her domestic help. So here at Highland, how do you interpret the life of James Monroe? Because he's a founding father. He's a U.S. president. He's a champion of liberty. He fought in the Revolutionary War, and yet he's also a slave owner. We certainly here at Ashland Highland, like elsewhere, recognize that liberty and slavery are entwined, and eventually there's a paradox in the slave-owning United States. The way I see it is that we have an obligation here to talk about Monroe, frankly, um, and in his context, to help people to understand the conditions uh, not only of Monroe's thought um, and his practice on slave owning, but also on the experience and lives of enslaved people here. So when looking back at James Monroe, what do you really think his legacy is? What, what is his lasting legacy? I think Monroe's legacy is his commitment to the American Republic. I think born in his participation in the American Revolution, but the choices that he made throughout his professional life were to preserve the Union. At times when um, struggle or um, discord threatened uh, what had been built by the Revolution, Monroe made choices consistently to further and strengthen the United States. So I think Monroe had a lot to do. And I don't think people really fully realize it. I think everybody knows Washington and Jefferson, of course, and to some degree Madison and, you know, with the Constitution. But I think Monroe, they don't really think of him in that kind of way. Well, Monroe is in the shadows a little bit. Um, I think in part because the complexity of the events he was involved in. He wasn't a, a single-handed champion of particular causes, but he participated in many causes. Um, he led some, he followed in others, but you see a consistency in his choices that really fur furthered the United States at critical periods in its history. So Sarah, if you could just sort of comment on the paradox that we see among the founding fathers. And what I mean by that is that a lot of them inherited slaves, you know, their family had slaves, and then this revolution comes along, and they just really didn't know what to do with slavery. They didn't abolish it because it was so closely tied to the economy, and it was this trick bag that they really didn't know how to get out of. It, it seems clear that um, some uh, folks at the time didn't know how to extricate themselves from slavery. That's, that's fairly clear. Um, some uh, wrestle with it more than others in their writings and therefore in our reading of them. But it's clear that it, it was a dilemma. And people like Monroe saw it as a threat to the nation. So, Sarah, can you talk just a little bit about the writings of Monroe? I mean, I know he is not as prolific as 
Madison and Washington and Jefferson and those type people, but maybe just talk a little bit about raising the awareness of Monroe. Well, Monroe didn't leave the copious quantity of documents that some of the other founding fathers did. And perhaps for that reason, scholarship on Monroe has been a little bit behind. So we here at Highland think of that as an opportunity for for the future and for um, explaining to people Monroe's contributions and his context and, and what he did for the U.S. So, Sarah, I just want to thank you for sitting down with us today and talking about all things James Monroe. We appreciate it. And uh appreciate your insight into uh, his life. For more information on the Emmy-winning documentary, Liberty and Slavery, The Paradox of America's Founding Fathers, or information on the Liberty and Slavery podcast, visit libertyandslavery.com. Thanks for listening.